0: Chapter thirty two of Monsieur Lecoq. Part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by O. One Two Three. Monsieur Lecoq by Emile Gabriel. Part two. Chapter thirty two. Alone in his cell, Chanwy Noon, after Maggie Ann's departure abandoned himself in the most frightful despair. He had just given more than life to the woman he loved so fervently. For had he not, in the hope of obtaining an interview with her, perilled his honor by simulating the most ignoble fear? While doing so, he thought only of the success of his ruse. But now he knew only too well what those who had witnessed his apparent weakness would say of him. Dissononou is only a miserable coward after all, he fancied he could hear them saying among themselves. We have seen him on his knees, begging for mercy and promising to betray his accomplices. The thought that his memory would be tarnished with charges of cowardice and treason drove him nearly mad. He actually longed for death, since it would give him an opportunity to retrieve his honor. They shall see then. He cried dreadfully, if I turned pale and trembled before the soldiers. He was in this state of mind when the door opened to admit the Marquis de Cocktu, who, after seeing Mademoiselle leave the prison, came to Shanwinou to ascertain the result of our visit. Well, my good fellow, began the Marquis, in his most condescending manner. Leave, cried Shanou, in a fury of passion, leave or Without waiting to hear the end of the sentence, the Marquis made his escape, greatly surprised and not a little dismayed by this sudden change. What a dangerous and blood-trusty rascal, he remarked to the guard. It would perhaps be advisable to put him in a straitjacket. Ah, there was no necessity for that. The heroic peasant had thrown himself upon his straw pallet, oppressed with feverish anxiety. Old buggy end no. How to make the best use of the weapon which he had placed in her hands. If he hoped so, it was because she would have as a counsellor and guide a man in whose judgment he had the most implicit confidence, Abby Midon. Martial would be afraid of the latter. He said to himself again and again, Certainly you will be afraid. In this Chanoin was entirely mistaken. His discernment and intelligence were certainly above his station, but he was not sufficiently acute to read a character like that of the young Marquis de Zegmour. The document, which he had written in a moment of abandon and blindness, was almost without influence in determining his cause. He pretended to be greatly alarmed in order to frighten his father, but in reality he considered the treat puerile. Mackey Anne would have obtained the same assistance from him if she had not possessed this letter. Other influences had decided him, the difficulties and dangers of the undertaking, the risks to be incurred, the prejudices to be braved. To save the life of Baron Disco an enemy, to wrest him from the execution on the very steps of the scaffold, as it were, seemed to him a delightful enterprise." and to assure the happiness of the woman he adored by saving the life of an enemy, even after his suit had been refused, seemed a chivalrous act worthy of him. Besides, what an opportunity it afforded for the exercise of his sang-friar, his diplomatic talent, and the finesse upon which he prided himself. It was necessary to make his father his dupe. That was an easy task. It was necessary to impose upon the credulity of the Maquis de Coctou-Nu. This was a difficult task, yet he succeeded. But poor shonu could not conceive of such contradictions, and he was consumed with anxiety. Willingly, would he have consented to be put to the torture before receiving his death blow, if he might have been allowed to follow Maggi M. in her undertakings? What was she doing? How could he ascertain? A dozen times during the evening he called his guards under every possible pretext and tried to compel them to talk with him. He knew very well that these men could no better informed on the subject than he was himself, that he could place no confidence in their reports, but that made no difference. The drums beat for the evening roll call, then for the extinguishment of lights, after that silence. Standing at the window of his cell, Charloueau concentrated on his faculties in a superhuman effort of attention. It seemed to him if the baron regained his liberty, he would be warned of it by some sign. Those whom he had saved owed him he thought the slight token of gratitude. A little after two o'clock, he heard sounds that made him tremble. There was a great bustle in the corridors, guards running to and fro and calling each other a rattling of keys, and the opening and shutting of doors. The passage was suddenly illuminated. He looked out, and by the uncertain light of the lanterns, he thought he saw Lashina, as pale as a ghost, past the cell led by some soldiers. Lassina could this be possible? He doubted his own eyesight. He thought it must be a vision, born of the fever burning in his brain. Later, he heard a despairing cry, but was it surprising that one should hear such a sound in a prison where twenty men condemned to death were suffering the agony of that terrible night which precedes the day of execution at last, the grey light of early dawn came creeping through the prison bars. Channenu was in despair. The letter was useless. He murmured, "Poor, generous patient, His heart would have leaped for joy." Could he have cast a glance on the courtyard of the citadel? More than an hour had passed after the sounding of the reveal, when two country women, who were carrying their butter and eggs to market, presented themselves at the gate of the fortress. They declared that while passing through the fields at the base of the precipitous cliff upon which the citadel was built, they had discovered a rope dangling from the side of the rock. A rope then one of the condemned prisoners must have escaped. The guards hastened to Baron de room. It was empty. The Baron had fled, taking with him the man who had been left to guard him, Corporal Bavoy of the Grenadiers. The amazement was as intense as the indignation, but the fright was still greater. There was not a single officer who did not tremble on thinking of his responsibility. Not one who did not see his hopes of advancement blighted for ever. What should they say to the formidable Duke de Seguemure, and to the Magui de Coctoucneau, who, in spite of his calm and polished manners, was almost as much to be feared? It was necessary to warn them, however, and the sergeant was despatched with the news. Soon they made their appearance, accompanied by Martial, all frightfully angry. Monsieur du Sengmour especially seemed beside himself. He swore at everybody, accused everybody, treated everybody. He began by consigning all the keepers and guards to prison. He even talked of demanding the dismissal of all the officers. As for that miserable Bavois, he exclaimed, as for that cowardly deserter, he shall be sought as soon as we capture him, and we will capture him, you may depend upon it. They had hoped to appease the duke's wrath a little by informing him of Lacheneur's arrest, but he knew this already, for Chopin had ventured to evoke him in the middle of the night to tell him the great news. The baron's escape afforded the duke an opportunity to exalt Chopin's merits. The man who has discovered Lacheneur will know how to find this traitor well. he remarked. Monsieur de Cocteau knew, who was more calm took measures for the restoration of a great culprit to the hand of justice, as he said. He sent couriers in every direction, ordering them to make close inquiries throughout the neighborhood. His commands were brief, but to the point. They were to watch the frontier, to submit all travellers to a rigorous examination, to search the house, and to sow the description of the escrow broadcast through the land. But first of all, he ordered the arrest both of Abbe Midon, the cure of Seymour, and of the son of Baron de Escovel. Among the officers present there was one and old lieutenant, meddled and decorated, who had been deeply wounded by imputations uttered by the Duke de Seymour. He stepped forward with a gloomy air and said that these measures were doubtless all very well, but the most pressing and urgent duty was to institute an investigation at once which while acquitting them with the method of escape would probably reveal their accomplices on hearing the word investigation neither the duke de segmoor nor the marquis de coctugneau could repress a slight shudder. they could not ignore the fact that their reputations were at stake and that the merest trifle might disclose the truth a precaution neglected the most insignificant detail a word, a jester might ruin their ambitious hopes for ever. They trembled to think that this officer might be a man of unusual shrewdness, who had suspected their complicity, and was impatient to verify his presumptions. Now, the old lieutenant had not the slightest suspicion. He had spoken on the impulse of the moment, merely to give vent to his displeasure. He was not even keen enough to remark the rapid glance interchanged between the marquis and the duke. Martial noticed this look, however, and with a politeness too studied, not to be ridiculed, he addressed the lieutenant. Yes, we must institute an investigation. That suggestion is as shrewd as it is opportune, he remarked. The old officer turned away with a muttered oath. That coxcomb is poking fun at me, he thought, and he and his father and that prick deserve. But what is one to do? In spite of his bold remark, Marshall felt that he must not incur the slightest risk. To whom must the charge of this investigation be entrusted? To the Duke and to the Marquis, of course, since they were the only persons who would know just how much to conceal and just how much to disclose. They began their task immediately with an impressment which could not fail to silence all doubts in case any existed in the minds of their subordinates but who could be suspicious. The success of the plot had been all the more certain from the fact that the baron's escape seemed likely to injure the interests of the very parties who had favoured it. Martial thought he knew the details of the escape as exactly as the fugitives themselves. He had been the author, even if they had been the actors of the drama of the preceding night. He was soon obliged to admit that he was mistaken in this opinion, the investigation revealed facts which seemed incomprehensible to him. It was evident that the Baron Descovelle and Corporal Bevoy had been compelled to accomplish two successive distances. To do this, the prisoners had realized, since they had succeeded, the necessity of having two robes. Martial had provided them. The prisoners must have used them, and yet only one rope could be found, the one which the patient omen had perceived hanging from the rocky platform, where it was made fast to an iron criper. From the window to the platform there was no rope. This is most extraordinary, murmured Marshall thoughtfully. Very strange, approved, Monsieur du How the devil could they have reached the base of the tower? That is what I cannot understand. But Marshall found another cause for surprise on examining the rope that remained the one which had been used in making the second descent he discovered that it was not a single piece two pieces had been knotted together the longest piece had evidently been too short how did this happen could the duke have made a mistake in the height of the cliff or had the abbey measured the rope incorrectly but martial had also measured it with his eye and it had seemed to him that the rope was much longer Fully a tad longer than it now appeared. There must have been some accident, he remarked to his father, and to the marquis. But what? Well, what does it matter? replied the marquis. You have the compromising letter, have you not? But Marshalls was one of those minds that never rest when confronted by an unsolved problem. He insisted on going to inspect the rocks at the foot of the precipice. There they discovered large parts of blood. One of the fugitives must have fallen, said Martial quickly, and was dangerously wounded. Upon my word, exclaimed the Duke de Seguemure, if Baron de Escoville has broken his neck, I shall be delighted. Martial's face turned crimson, and he looked searchingly at his father. I suppose, Martial, that you do not mean one word of what you are saying, Martial said coldly. We pledged ourselves, upon the honor of our name, to save Baron d'Escorval. De if he has been killed, it will be a great misfortune to us, monsieur, a great misfortune." When his son addressed him in his haughty and freezing tone, the duke never knew how to reply. He was indignant, but his son's was the stronger nature. "Nonsense!" exclaimed Monsieur de Cocteau. Knew. "If the rascal had merely been wounded, we should have known it. Such was the opinion of Chopin, who had been sent for by the Duke, and who had just made his appearance. But the old scoundrel, who was easily so loquacious and so officious, replied briefly, and, strange to say, did not offer his services. Of his imperturbable assurance, of his wonted impudence, of his obsequious and cunning smile, absolutely nothing remained. His restless eyes, the contraction of his features, his gloomy manner, and the occasional sigh which he could not repress, all betrayed his secret perturbation. So marked was the change that even the Duc de Saigmour observed it. What calamity has happened to you, Master Chupin? he inquired. This has happened, he responded sullenly. When I was coming here, the children of the town threw mud and stones at me, and ran after me, shouting, Traitor, traitor. He cleansed his feasts. He seemed to be meditating vengeance, and he added, The people of Montaigne are pleased. They know that the baron has escaped, and they are rejoicing. Alice, this joy was destined to be of short duration, for this was the day appointed for the execution of the conspirators it was wednesday at noon the gates of the citadel were closed and the gloom was profound and universal when the heavy rolling of drums announced the preparations for the frightful holocaust consternation and fear sprayed through the town the silence of death made itself felt on every side the streets were deserted and the doors and shutters of every house were closed at last as three o'clock sounded the gates of the fortress were opened to give passage to the fordon-doomed man, each accompanied by a priest. fortin For seized by remorse remorse of fright at the last moment, Monsieur de Coctouneau and the Duke de du Seigneau had granted a reprieve to six of the prisoners, and at that very hour a courier was hastening toward Paris with six petitions for pardons signed by the military commission. Chandonneau was not among those For whom royal clemency had been solicited, when he left his cell without knowing whether or not his letter had availed, he counted the condemned with poignant anxiety. His eyes betrayed such an agony of anguish that the priest who accompanied him leaned toward him and whispered, "For whom you are looking, my son, for Baron de He escaped last night. Ah! Now I shall die content!" exclaimed the heroic peasant. He died as he had sworn he would die, without even changing colour, calm and proud, the name of Maki M upon his lips. End of chapter thirty two